Section 2 of My Life in Christ by St. John of Kronstadt Translated by E. E. Gulioff This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Let us measure the worth of our prayers by human measure or by the quality of our relation to other men. How do we behave to other people? Sometimes we express our request, praises and gratitude to them coldly, heartlessly, out of duty, or simply out of politeness, and it is the same when we do anything for them, whilst at other times we do so with warmth, heartily and lovingly, often only feigning, often really sincerely. We are similarly unequal with God, but this should not be. We must always, from our whole hearts, sing and express to God our praises, our gratitude and our request. Every work must be done before Him with the whole heart. He must be loved and trusted with the whole heart. Faith in God's existence is closely connected with faith in the existence of our own souls, as a part of the spiritual world. God's existence is as evident to the pious mind as its own being, because every thought, good or bad, every desire, every intention, word or act of such a mind is followed by a corresponding change in the state of the heart, peace or trouble, joy or grief, and this is the result of the action upon it of the God of spirits and bodies, who is reflected in the pious mind as the sun is reflected in a drop of water. The purer the drop is, the better, the clearer will be the reflection. The more turbid the drop, the dimmer will be the reflection. So that in the soul's state of extreme impurity or darkness, the reflection entirely ceases, and the soul is left in a state of spiritual darkness, in a state of insensibility. In this state the man having eyes sees not, and having ears, hears not. Again, in relation to our souls, God may be likened to the outer air in relation to the mercury of the thermometer, with this difference, that the expansion and rest, rise and fall of the mercury proceed from the change in the state of the atmosphere, whilst in the first case God remains unchangeable, everlasting and eternally good and just, whilst the soul, changeable in its relation to God, suffers changes in itself. Thus it unavoidably expands and obtains peace of heart when it draws nearer to God by faith and good works, and unavoidably contracts, becomes restless and wearied when it withdraws itself from God by unlawful acts, want of faith, and unbelief in God's truth. The evil spirit tries to scatter prayer as if it were a sand heap, tries to turn the words into dry sand without coherency or moisture, that is to say, without fervor of heart. Thus prayer may become either a house built on sand or a house built on a rock. Those build on sand who pray without faith, absently, coldly, such prayer is scattered of itself, and does not bring any profit to him who prays. 
those build on a rock who during the whole time of their prayer have their eyes fixed upon god and pray to him as to a living person conversing face to face with them edifying words the writings of the holy fathers prayers and especially the words of the word himself the second person of the holy trinity are indeed living water water runs and the words flow like water water refreshes and gives life to the body and edifying words animate the soul filling it with peace and joy or with compunction and contrition for sin our hope of obtaining that which we ask for during prayer is founded upon faith in god's mercy and bountifulness for he is the god of mercy and bountifulness and the lover of men therefore at that time it is useful to remind ourselves of former innumerable experiences of mercy and grace bestowed upon men in holy writ and in the lives of the saints and upon ourselves besides this in order that prayer may be effectual it is also necessary that those who pray should have already obtained that which they formerly asked for and firmly believe this with their whole heart we often receive through prayer that which we have asked for especially when we pray for that which relates to the salvation of our soul it is necessary to ascribe this directly to god and his grace and not to chance how can there possibly be any chance in the kingdom of the almighty god nothing can really happen without his will as without him was not anything made that hath been made many do not pray because it seems to them that they did not receive any gift from god when they prayed before or because they consider praying unnecessary they say that god knows everything without our asking and forget that it is said ask and it shall be given unto you seek and ye shall find knock and it shall be opened unto you our requests prayers are necessary expressly to strengthen our faith through which alone can we be saved by grace are we saved through faith o woman great is thy faith for this reason the lord made the woman pray earnestly in order to awaken her faith and to strengthen it such men do not see that they have no faith the christian's most precious inheritance which is as necessary as life itself that they make him a liar by their unbelief and that they are the children of the devil unworthy of any of god's mercies that they are going to destruction it is also necessary that our hearts should burn during prayer with a desire for spiritual blessings with love to god and that we should vividly represent to ourselves his extreme mercy to mankind and his readiness to hear all our prayers with fatherly love if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him god being the eternal truth does not suffer in us even a moment of doubt in the truth god 
as the eternal mercy, will have all men to be saved, and to come into the knowledge of the truth. And we, the children of the merciful God, also must wish with our whole hearts that all men, and even our enemies, should be saved, and must care for this. Watch your heart during all your life. Examine it, listen to it, and see what prevents its union with the most blessed Lord. Let this be for you the science of all sciences, and with God's help you will easily observe what estranges you from God, and what draws you towards Him and unites you to Him. It is the evil spirit more than anything that stands between our hearts and God. He estranges God from us by various passions, or by the desires of the flesh, by the desires of the eyes, and by worldly pride. Why should it be wonderful if God himself, the creator of all things visible and invisible, transforms, transubstantiates bread and wine into his own most pure body and his own most pure blood? In these, in the bread and wine, the Son of God does not become again incarnate, for he was already once incarnate, and this is sufficient unto endless ages. But he is incarnate in the very same flesh in which he was before incarnate, in the same manner as he multiplied the five loaves and fed with these five loaves several thousands of people. There are a great many mysteries in nature which my mind cannot grasp, although they have concrete forms, yet they exist with their mysteries. So also in the sacrament of the life-giving body and blood, it is a mystery for me, how the bread and wine are made into the body and blood of the Lord himself. But the mystery of the body and blood really exists, although it is incomprehensible to me. My Creator, I am only his clay, for God formed me of flesh and blood and endued me with a spirit. As the most wise, the infinitely almighty God has innumerable mysteries. I myself am a mystery as the work of his hands. For my soul there is the spirit of the Lord, and for my soul and body there are his body and blood. In the same way as the soul carries its body, so God carries the whole universe, all the worlds, being himself more vast than they are. The soul fills the whole body, and the Spirit of the Lord filleth the world. Only the soul is limited by the body, though not completely, as it may be born everywhere. And the Spirit of the Lord is not limited by the universe and is not contained in the world, as the soul is in the body. Christ, being led into the heart by faith, dwells in it with peace and joy. It is not without reason that it is said of God, He is holy, and rests in the saints. Do not forget yourself in looking upon the beauty of the human face, but look upon the soul. Do not look upon the man's garment, the body being his temporary garment, but look upon him who is clothed in it. Do not admire the magnificence of the mansion, 
but look upon the dweller who lives in it and what he is. Otherwise you will offend the image of God in the man, will dishonor the king by worshipping his servant, and not rendering unto him even the least of the honor due to him. Also, do not look upon the beauty of the printing of a book, but look upon the spirit of the book. Otherwise you will depreciate the spirit and exalt the flesh. For the letters are the flesh, and the contents of the book the spirit. Do not be allured by the melodious sounds of an instrument or of a voice, but by their effect upon the soul, or by the words of the song. Consider what their spirit is. If the sounds produce upon your soul tranquil, chaste, holy feelings, then listen to them, and feed your soul with them. Whilst, if they give rise in your soul to passions, then leave off listening to them, and throw aside both the flesh and the spirit of the music. The inner man, amidst worldly vanity, amidst the darkness of his flesh, is not so bound by the temptations of the evil one, and looks out more freely early in the morning, just after waking up, like a fish, which sometimes throws itself up playfully on the surface of the water. All the remaining time he is enveloped in almost impenetrable darkness. His eyes are covered by a bandage, which conceals from him the true state of things spiritual and physical. Take advantage of these morning hours, which are the hours of a new life, or of a life renewed by temporary sleep. They show us in part that state in which we shall be when we shall rise up renewed on that great and universal morning of the nightless day of resurrection or when we shall rid ourselves of this mortal body. Even during prayer, man is for the greater part not the son of freedom, but the slave of necessity and duty. Look at any man you like, even at a priest. Do many of them pray with a free, expanded heart, with living faith and love? During prayer there sometimes occur moments of deadly darkness and spiritual anguish arising from unbelief of the heart, for unbelief is darkness. Do not let your heart fail you at such moments, but remember that if the divine light has been sent off in you, it always shines in all its splendor and greatness in God himself, in God's church, in heaven and on earth into the material world in which his eternal power and godhead are visible do not think that truth has failed because truth is god himself and everything that exists has its foundation and reason in him only your own weak sinful and darkened heart can fail in the truth for it cannot always bear the strength of the light of truth and is not always capable of containing its purity but only it is being, or has been, purified from its sins, as the first cause of spiritual darkness. The proof of this you may find in yourself. When the light of faith or God's truth dwells in your heart, only then is it tranquil, firm, strong, and living. But when this is cut off, then your heart becomes uneasy, weak as a reed shaken by the wind, 
and lifeless. Do not pay any attention to this darkness of Satan. Drive it away from your heart by making the sign of the life-giving cross. Do not spare yourself, but pray earnestly, even if you have been toiling all day. Do not be negligent in holy prayer. Say it to God unto the end from your whole heart, for it is a duty you owe to God. Having put your hand to the plough, do not look back. If you allow yourself to pray carelessly and not from your heart, you will not fall asleep, if you pray at night, until you have wiped out by tears your sin before God. This is not so with everybody, however, but only with the more perfect. Take care, then, not to put your flesh before God, and disdain, for his sake, bodily repose. If you have made a rule to read so many prayers, whether they be long or short, fulfill the reading of all of them well. Read the prayers with all conscientiousness, and do not do God's work with your heart divided in two, so that only one half belongs to Him, and the remaining half to your own flesh. God is a jealous God, and will not suffer your duplicity, your self-pity. He will deliver you up to the devil, and the devil will not let your heart rest for your neglect of God, who is the true peace of your heart, and who will always do that which is for your own good, so as to keep your heart near him. For every insincere prayer removes your heart from God and sets it in opposition to you yourself, whilst every earnest prayer draws your heart nearer to God and makes it perpetually godly. Thus be assured, if you hurry over your prayers to give rest to your body, you will lose both spiritual and bodily rest. Oh, by what labor, sweat, and tears is the approach of our heart to God gained? Is it possible that we should again make our very prayers, when careless, the means of our estrangement from God, and that God should not be jealous of this? For He pities us in our former labors, and He desires that we should again unfailingly turn to Him with our whole hearts. He wishes that we would always belong to Him. Without God, without His omnipresence, there cannot be any single motion of my thought or heart. If there is an action, there must be a reason. If there is a consequence, there must be an origin. This is why the Apostle says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves, capable, to think anything is of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. God himself lives, and that is why my soul also lives. If my life were prolonged only for a few moments, let us say ten, and five of these ten were moments of peace and quietness, and the remaining five moments of pain and torments, even then I ought undoubtedly to say, Surely the giver of life is with me, and he will provide for me. Likewise, I undoubtedly ought to say, There is a being in the world who has the power of death, because the five unfavorable moments must proceed from the being that works against God. 
for the same cause cannot produce opposite actions. And in me, sinner as I am, at least seventy parts of my spiritual life belong to God, and only thirty parts to the devil. How is it possible for me, then, not to see my benefactor constantly before me? And how can I possibly waver mentally in my lively faith in him? Time passes without stopping, and my body, even during my lifetime, constantly changes and passes on, and the whole world, as is seen in its motion, also passes on, as though it were hurrying to its appointed end, like a machine set in motion. Where, then, is constancy? Constancy is that which moves and directs all this to its purpose. The first cause of all that is complex and created is constant, being itself not complex, and therefore not passing but eternal. The souls of angels and men, created after the image of the first cause, are also constant. Everything else is like a soap bubble. I do not lower creation by these words, but only thus speak of it in comparison with the Creator and beatified souls. Value by its properties that greatest miracle of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is manifested in the communion, with faith, of His divine mysteries. What is the miracle? The peace-giving and life-giving effect upon your heart, slain by sin, which is so apparent after the uneasiness of heart and the spiritual deadness that often precedes communion. Never consider it from habit as anything ordinary or unimportant. By such thoughts and such a disposition of heart you will incur the wrath of God, and you will not enjoy peace nor feel renewed life after communion. By the most lively and heartfelt gratitude for the holy life-giving sacrament you will obtain life from the Lord, and your faith will increase more and more. Fear and uneasiness proceed from unbelief. Consider their arising during communion as a true sign, that by unbelief you are removing yourself from the life contained in the cup, and do not pay attention to them. O faith, faith, thou thyself art a miracle to us. It is thou that savest us. Thy faith hath made thee whole and after lively faith in God's truth we always go from God in peace, whilst, on the contrary, after unbelief, always without peace. Ah! Satan often enters into us after we have unworthily communicated of the divine mysteries, and in every way tries to instill his lie into our hearts, that is, unbelief for unbelief is the same thing as a lie. The destroyer of men now, as of old, tries in every way to destroy men by his lying, and by various thoughts and desires, and having stolen into the heart in the form of unbelief or any passion, he manifests himself in a manner worthy of him, mostly by impatience and malice, and you see that he is in you but you will not often at once rid yourself of him, because he usually takes care to close every outlet in your heart 
by unbelief, obduracy, and others of his brood. Thy labor is in vain, thou fallen angel. I am the servant of my Lord Jesus Christ. Thou that exaltest thyself in thine arrogance, lowers thyself by thus violently struggling with me, weak as I am. Say thus mentally to the evil spirit, as he lays his heavy load on your heart, and compels you to evil of various kinds. These words will be like fiery scourges to the proud spirit, and he, shamed by your firmness and spiritual wisdom, will flee from you. You at once will perceive, feel, and wonder at the marvelous change in you. The heavy, soul-destroying load in your heart will no longer be there. You will feel so relieved, and will be convinced by your feelings that there are spirits of evil hovering around us, and constantly seeking our destruction, poisoning our hearts with the poison of dark and evil thoughts, and endeavoring to destroy our love to mankind and fellowship with them. As all my misfortunes arise in my invisible mind and my invisible heart, therefore I require the invisible Saviour, who directs our hearts. O my strength, Jesus, Son of God, O light of my mind, the peace, the joy of my heart, glory to Thee, glory to Thee, deliverer from my invisible enemies, that fight against my mind and my heart, slaying me in the very source of my life, in my most sensitive part. Keep a strict watch against every appearance of pride. It appears imperceptibly, particularly in time of vexation and irritability against others for quite unimportant causes. The miraculous effect of the life-giving cross upon our souls, tortured by the poison of evil, proves to us most undoubtedly and clearly. 1. That we have indeed a soul a spiritual being. 2. That there are evil spirits, harming our souls. 3. That God exists and our Lord Jesus Christ, and that He is always with us through His divinity. And 4. That He has indeed accomplished our salvation by His sufferings and death on the cross, and has destroyed the power of the devil by means of the cross. How many proofs of the advantage of our faith there are in the wonderful action upon us of the life-giving cross alone! Glory be to the Christian faith! Men who are leading a spiritual life see by the eyes of their heart how the devil lays his snares, how the angels guide us, and how the Lord, in his sovereign power, allows the temptations, and how he comforts. The only means by which you can spend the day in perfect holiness, peace, and without sin, is the most sincere, fervent prayer as soon as you rise from sleep in the morning. It will bring Christ into your heart, with the Father and the Holy Ghost, and will thus strengthen and fortify your soul against any evil. But still it will be necessary for you carefully to guard your heart. Sometimes in the affliction of your soul you wish to die. It is easy to die 
and does not take long. But are you prepared for death? Remember that after death the judgment of your whole life will follow. You are not prepared for death, and if it were to come to you, you would shudder all over. Therefore do not waste words in vain. Do not say, It is better for me to die, but say rather, How can I prepare for death in a Christian manner? By means of faith, by means of good works, and by bravely bearing the miseries and sorrows that happen to you, so as to be able to meet death fearlessly, peacefully, and without shame, not as a rigorous law of nature, but as a fatherly call of the eternal, heavenly, holy, and blessed Father unto the everlasting kingdom. Remember the old man who, being weary of his heavy burden, called for death. When it came he did not wish to die, and preferred to go on carrying his heavy burden. With the mental eyes of my heart, I see how I mentally breathe Christ in my heart how he enters into it, and suddenly tranquilizes and rejoices it. Oh, do not leave me to dwell alone, without thyself, the life-giver, my breath, my joy. It is hard for me to be left without thee. Is it possible to pray rapidly without injuring the effect of the prayer? It is possible to those who have learned to pray inwardly with a pure heart. During prayer it is necessary that your heart should sincerely desire that which you ask for, should feel the truth of what you are saying, and this comes naturally to a pure heart. That is why it is capable of praying even rapidly, and at the same time agreeably, to God as the rapidity in this case does not injure the truth, sincerity, of the prayer. But for those who have not attained the capability of praying sincerely, it is necessary to pray slowly, waiting for a corresponding echo in the heart to each word of the prayer. And this is not always soon given to men unaccustomed to prayerful contemplation. Therefore, for such men, it must be laid down as an absolute rule to pronounce the words of the prayer slowly and with pauses. Wait until every word gives back its corresponding echo in your heart. Sometimes in his heart a man draws near to God. Sometimes he goes far from God, and therefore he experiences either peace and joy or fear, disturbance and oppression. The one is life, the other spiritual death. We draw near to God mostly in time of affliction, from which no one can save us but God, to whom we then turn with our whole heart, and thus approach Him sincerely. Whilst we go far from God in times of ease and abundance of earthly blessings, which make the old carnal man proud of himself, and, especially when he thirsts for riches, glory, and distinction, and has obtained all these, he loses faith from his heart and forgets God, his judge and recompenser, forgets the immortality of his soul, and his duty to love God with all his heart and his neighbor as himself. As an ill-natured man, coming with a request to one who is kind, gentle, and meek, 
for the greater success of his request tries to resemble him, so the Christian, approaching God with a prayer to him, or to his most pure mother, or to the angels and saints, in order to ensure the success of his prayer, ought to try to resemble as far as possible the Lord himself, or his most pure mother, or the angels and saints. In this lies the secret of drawing near to God, and of his speedily hearing our prayers. The Holy Trinity sees and hears me. This is the most life-giving assurance for my heart, penetrating it with peace and joy. The benign Mother of God the Word also sees me, and hears my prayers, and my sighing towards her. And this is another comforting assurance, constantly realized. Thus will I walk with the feeling of God's omnipresence and omniscience. The most striking proof that there is a devil in the world is that men do not feel, or feel very little, though some endeavor to do so. The mercies that God has bestowed upon them in the creation, guidance, and redemption. The devil is a powerful antagonist to everything good and righteous. The problem of our life is union with God, and sin completely prevents this. Therefore, flee from sin is from a terrible enemy, as from the destroyer of the soul, because to be without God is death and not life. Let us therefore understand our destination. Let us always remember that our common master calls us to union with himself. It is especially necessary for Christians to have a pure heart, so that they may be able to see God with the eyes of the heart, as He is, with His love to us, and with all His perfections, as well as to be able to contemplate the beauty of the angels, all the glory of the Holy Virgin, the beauty of her soul and her greatness as the Mother of God, and the beauty of the souls of God's saints and their love to us, we must see them as they are in themselves. We must contemplate the truths of the Christian faith with all its sacraments and feel their greatness. We must see the state of our own souls and especially our sins. And impure heart, that is, a heart occupied with earthly passions, feeds itself on the carnal desires of the eyes and worldly pride. It cannot see any of the things we have indicated. Prayer is the lifting up of the mind and heart to God. From this it is evident that it is quite impossible for anyone to pray whose mind and heart are attached to anything carnal, for instance, to money or to honors, or who has in his heart passions such as hatred or envy for others because passions usually contract the heart, in the same way as God expands it and gives it true freedom. It is incomprehensible how Jesus Christ is united with the sign of the cross, and gives it the wonderful power of driving away passions, demons, and to calm the troubled soul. It is likewise incomprehensible how the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ is united with the bread and wine, transforming them into his own flesh and blood, and manifestly cleansing our souls from sin, 
bringing into it heavenly peace and tranquillity and making it good, gentle, humble, and full of hearty faith and hope. This is partly explained by the fact that the almighty creating spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ is everywhere, and that everywhere he calleth those things which be not as though they were, and therefore much more can he make what exists other from what it was. And in order that the unbelieving heart should not think that both the sign of the cross and the name of Christ act miraculously by themselves, apart from and independently of Christ himself, this same cross and name of Christ do not perform any miracles until I see Jesus Christ with the eyes of my heart, or by faith, and until I believe with my whole heart all that which he has accomplished for our salvation. End of section 2